Welcome to the Untribal Podcast, the show that gives you news content by regular people for regular people. Today I'm joined by Graham Golden in the 16 days of activism to challenge violence against women and girls. How are you doing today, Graham? Are you all right? I'm doing fantastic, Ennis. It's great to be back with you. Your passion is just infectious, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, Graham. Uh, listen, let's uh, let's pick up where we left off. Uh, what is uh, male sexual entitlement, Graham? I think we, we we talked before about that. It's that expectation of, you know, um, you know, I deserve sex from the opposite sex, or I, I would also in, in in you know um, spread that into spaces as well, you know, invading a, a woman's space or invading if a woman's having a conversation, just taking over that conversation. So I think it's not just about that expectation for sex on a date or in life in general, just because you've done something you expect it back. I think it's just it's wider than that, looking at where, you know, when we're on buses or trains and we take over the space or we're hogging a conversation in the workplace. So I think that's something that I, I think is important. Yeah, I think that's, it's interesting you say that because it's, it's the type of language that Men use when they're talking about God, especially in terms of the sexual environment when they're when they're you know wanting to have sexual intercourse with a woman, for example. It's one thing to say, okay, I fancy this woman, you know, I'd quite like to take her on a date, or I have feelings for this woman, compared to, or I'd quite I'd I'd tap that or something like. Do you know what I mean? I'd objectify them in that way, and also presuming that the power lies in yourself in terms of how that interaction would would take yeah. place. If that makes sense, it does. But there's 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 a lot of bragging going on. As guys, when we're together with our mates, we often, I think we brag about what we've done. You know, I've, you know, I drank 10 pints of beer last night and I went and had sex with this three women or whatever. No chance, guys. Just not happening. But we like to brag. We like to big it up a little bit. And I think that's it. Especially when we're with our friends, we can we can venture into these conversations that, I, you know, I'm, I'm in my 50s now. You know, when I was a young teenager, yeah, I was probably part of that culture, bragging off, thinking I had to perform to my friends as well as the opposite sex as well. So it is, it's quite amusing when you look back on that. Um, but what's hopeful is guys like you talking about it. Right. Well, thank you very much. I mean, and that's what I'm trying to do. Just encourage men to, to be vocal and, and get involved in the conversation because what we're not saying is, you know, this is the end of ever having a laugh with your mates again. It's about saying there's this sort of cocktail of, of comedy, uh, like discrimination, racism, homophobia, and you know, you know, sexual entitlement against women. You know, th this kind of comedy is eroding. It's it's starting to sound a bit naff. No one's really into it anymore because we know how dangerous it is to wider society, Graham. I, I think you you really hit on the head there, Riven. You know, oh, sorry, Ennis. There's a, there's a there's a as I keep saying, I'm hopeful. You know, guys like you and other young men, you know, half my age are really talking about this stuff. Why? Because we're creating a space. For them to have these conversations, and I'm, 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 I'm forever hopeful about this space because we're talking about things that I don't think we were talking about five, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, we still have issues, and we can't ignore the issues we see. But you know, the more people we see speaking about these issues, the more permission we give other men to speak up on these issues, and that is really important. So I think as as men listening to this, when we speak about this issue, when we share to our friends. How uncomfortable we feel on, on certain situations. Yes, we're helping, you know, the wider society to, to address violence against women and girls or men's violence against women and girls. I think we're helping men as well. We're helping our boys because boys are, are growing up in this culture where they feel that pressure to perform, to 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 go along with certain behaviours. And I know from my work and from my own experience, I'm deeply uncomfortable. I, you know, I remember as a young man being deeply uncomfortable when my friends were using derogatory language. You know, even even in policing. 
when when colleagues were using sort of harmful language and attitudes were clearly there. I find myself feeling no, this is um, this isn't right. This isn't right. But felt I couldn't speak up. So I think what 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 we're doing now is we're creating these spaces where, and and you mentioned the the that guy campaign. We're, we're um, sort of making it okay for guys to speak up because I think in the past it was seen as a transgression against the norm. Speaking up was going against the grain. Whereas now, the behaviour is going against the norm, which is really really encouraging. Yeah, I think we talked a little bit about encouraging guys to go on a journey last time, Graham. And I, I talked a little bit about my journey and hearing statistics like 97% of 18 to 24 year olds have been harassed by a member of the public. Yeah. And me thinking about my, my sister and, and my mum and I'm really starting to think, God, no, that there is more I can do. And there was thinking of experiences where I didn't speak up out of fear, out of cowardness or just a lack of confidence in that moment, perhaps a bit of fear of retaliation in that moment. How important is it that we, we get over that fear in these moments, Graham? It's really important. You, you know, you 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 talk about this journey you went on and there's there's something in in, in that I've read a lot about recently. It's, it's called the hero's journey. And just, just bear with me on this one, right? Right, because some people think, oh, here, here Graham goes again. But life is a journey, and on that journey, you're gonna meet heroes. These are the people that um you know, give you the space to progress in life, to to enhance your your knowledge, your skills, your presence in the world. But you also start to meet the villains. And the villains are your mates who try and hold you back. They might be derogatory when you speak about this stuff. Um, and I think in my journey, like you, I've met wonderful people who give me the space to, you know, to, to you know, increase my presence, my character. But, you know, friends, colleagues, even family members in, in the past, what I would call the villains, they would they would say, oh, what's this nonsense you're talking about? They're trying to drag you back to that old existence. And, you know, what, what what's happening now for you in this is that you, you you've gone on this journey and you're now talking about it you know talking about it to your friends you feel comfortable because your job is to be the hero in one of your friends lives to let them see what what you can see so i think it's really important that we really get guys talking about this stuff um to make it okay because us guys you were influenced a lot by our peers our friends our colleagues and when more people talk about this stuff then we can really shift attitudes and behaviors and um, we know that sexual violence, like rape and sexual assault, starts way before we think they do. You know, and it's in these attitudes, it's in these words, it's in these derogatory comments that are often excused as banter, where we need to really, really invest our time. And tell us about, about your journey, Graham. What, what was your inspiration? You know, tell us about how, how you came to this, this comfortable yeah. sense of talking about it. I can remember, you know... I was, I was, I think, how old were I? I was, I was about 41 when I would join the violence reduction unit. God, it seems like ages ago. 41, yeah, about 41. I remember um, at that point, I still very much had my police hat on, right? Thinking about, um, you know, I need to reduce violence. I need to, you know, you know, sort of do this work only because I'm a police officer. And then I met a guy and a lot of people who know me, will, I talk a lot about this guy, Jackson Katz, American guy who does a lot of this work in America. And I met Jackson in Glasgow, 2010, actually. And um, one of the first questions he asked me was, as a man, what are you doing to prevent violence? And I'll be honest with you, mate, I'd never even thought about that before. You know, I went right back in my whole career and started to realize, yeah, you know what? Um, most of the incidents I dealt with with violence involved men being violent towards men, men being violent towards women and girls. Yeah, women being violent towards women and men as well. We get that. But the vast majority of these cases involved guys just being violent, being aggressive. 
Um, and in the past, I probably thought to myself, I don't commit abuse. I don't commit violence. So what's that got to do with me? But Jackson made me really, really think. And he planted a seed. And then in the weeks and months after that, I started to really reflect. You know, I lost my dad to suicide in 2008. And it made me think about my role, right? And my role in helping other men speaking up on these situations. And then my young, my oldest daughter, who was a student at the time, um, and she, she knows I talk about this and she's happy I talk about this. You know, she was walking back to university with one of her friends, thankfully with a friend, and this guy tried to attack them on the way back to their, their halls. And I remember the call at 10th of May, quarter to four in the morning from Jennifer, talking about um, what happened, the distress in her voice. I went through there and I really started to realize that I need to be doing more. I can't just sit waiting for that phone call from my daughter. Something happened. What can I be doing? How can I start to set the tone for a, a sort of form of, um, sort of respectful masculinity that starts to communicate that abuse and violence is not tolerated by um, by the vast majority of men. And I believe in that. Vast majority of men don't commit violence. We deeply care about this, but we often don't know what to do. So it was these little incidents that really started to give me the confidence to, to speak up about it. Yeah, I made loads of mistakes in the way I spoke about this to men. And initially, I remember being accused of being quite, quite um point, sort of finger pointy at men I, I just i was learning but then i started to i remember meeting a guy in america tony porter who does the call to men in the u.s and i remember asking tony um what's the best way to speak to men and boys about this stuff violence and he said meet them where they're at graham meet them where they're at i think we spend too much time imposing our viewpoints on people you know there was a time when you didn't know what you know today so he taught me that lesson of just meeting people where they're at in their understanding, they might bring some negative attitudes, but I used to have that. So I think we need to meet our guys where they are. Don't tell them what to do, help them see what you can see. And that's the role. Any men, any man out there who sees what we can see, our job is to help other men see that as well. And we're not just dealing here with, yeah, we're talking about violence against women and girls, but I think that's relevant to men's violence against men and men's violence against themselves, which is a form of violence too. Mm. I think the finger pointing thing is really important, Graham, because, you know, certainly when I came into this, I didn't come into it to shame people or guilt yeah. people into thinking they've done something wrong because at the end of the day, we've all done things that we've done that we've regretted yeah. or we've all said things that we wish, wish we shouldn't have said or look back and think I should have done better there. <laughs> and we can always be better. Uh, I, yeah. I think that's why even if you are a good guy and think you are, respectful of women or you've grown up in an environment that's that's always respected women that's never really been on your mind there's always more that you can do and part of that is not making men feel guilty it's acknowledging look we're not perfect but let's yeah. get around the table now let's you know let's start acting now and and, and try and be yeah. a better person from here on um yeah. i think it's important though shaming people never works shaming the only yeah, person exactly, yeah. the only person that benefits from shaming is the person delivering the message and I've, you know, I, I, you know, people often think that I'm siding with men. You know what? Men need to be held accountable for what they do. But I won't shout at people because you, you, you don't, you don't get anywhere. All you do is you just create a stress reaction in that person, and it just before you know it, you're just fighting each other. Yeah, the so barriers you, go up and the defense go up. kick in. And, yeah, yeah, well, the barriers go up and evolution kicks in, stress kicks in, and then that that response is gonna is gonna happen. So, you know, you don't, you know, ultimately, you and I want to shift behavior. We don't want to just challenge a person's attitude. We want to change that behavior, change that attitude. And you do that by having a conversation. If you want to spend all day challenging people and calling people out, that that's your right to do that. But 
my my viewpoint is have a conversation, find commonality with that person, and try and help them see what you can see. Don't force it. You know, you can only try. And if that person doesn't decide to share what you think, then you know what? We'll move on to that individual. How important is the the positivity surrounding the conversation that you do have with your pal? That say they say something that you make makes you yeah. feel a little bit uncomfortable when you think, uh, I, I don't think you should have said that. You know, how would you approach it? Would you, you know, would the conversation come in, in, in the next week to say, look, I will have a positive conversation about your your mental health, or how, how would you yeah. go about that, Graham? Can you give an example or two? Yeah, for me, you know, I think it's important we we think about the power we have as peers, as friends. You know, I talk a lot about the, the, you know, the US campaign in the 1980s, friends don't let friends drive drunk. And it led to that 75% of US citizens taking car keys off their friends, harnessing that power of responsibility. So, you know, one thing we need to be having a conversation with in schools and male teams, organizations like policing and other big male dominated cultures is what does it mean to be a loyal friend? Right, it's so important that we look at what loyalty means. Loyalty can sometimes mean turning a blind eye to a mate's behavior. And a lot of that is not just a misplaced loyalty, but it's a fear, fear of how your friend's gonna react to your to your involvement. But let's face it, if we don't stop a friend from behaving inappropriately, like look, look, look at my old police, my old career policing. You know, how many police officers have been losing their jobs? I heard about a cop in England last week who was sacked 20 year, 26 years service. He was sacked for posting sexist, misogynistic post on Twitter. He's now lost his everything, his pension impacting on his family, the whole lot. And I'm thinking to myself, where did that come from? He probably would never have done that as an individual, but he was sucked into this group think around that situation. So it's so important that we, we, if we see things happening with our friends and we potentially look at the outcome of what could happen to them, we try and have that conversation to first of all, think about stopping them from doing something really harmful, but stopping them from, um, being that that way with with girls about about girls and women, so I think it's and our our biggest influence is our peers. So hence why we need to see more leadership, I think, on these issues. And what I mean by leadership, it's not about men taking over on this subject. You know, this isn't about men pushing women and girls out of the way. Women and girls have been doing fantastic work for decades on this stuff. Not just helping women and girls, but helping men and boys as well. You know, how many boys are sexually assaulted? by men every single year. You know, so a lot of the organizations, right, crisis, women's aid, support, you know, vict all victims, child victims of, of these types of situations. But we need more men on the page. We need more men showing that moral courage. Again, that's a trait of leadership, moral courage, compassion, empathy, good role models, setting that that tone for their for their team, for their for their friendship group. Because we are the biggest influence on each other. And that's why we we developed the That Guy campaign was to get men to think about their role as friends, teammates, colleagues, and the influence they have to stop that friend from doing something that one is bad and harmful against another individual, but it could be career ending. It could end up you going to jail for something. So I think it's so important that we get men to think about, and you know, if I'm not looking out for you and it's just looking out for me, looking out for each other, but doing it because that person has done something that you think is wrong. Yeah, I mean, women and girls, you know, just to echo those sentiments, you know, the the whole feminism movement has has been so closely rooted in in pacifism, you know, uh, it's, it's 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 intertwined by its very nature. Uh, whereas men, well, we we can't help ourselves if you go <laughs> go up to George Street on a, a Saturday night, you can just say that from yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a big game though. It's you know, 
research talks about contest cultures that us guys get involved in when we're out with our mates. We're always trying to big up to each other, dog eat dog in a workplace, you know, toughness, you know, always working long hours. Um, and that can then lead to like poor behaviors. So look what's happened in the Red Arrows in the last, the Red Arrows aerobatic team in the last few weeks, talking about toxic cultures, that sense of omnipotence that was there where men felt that real entitlement to behave disrespectfully, not too much to their colleagues, male colleagues, but to female colleagues, harassment, sexual assault. So, you know, in these male dominated cultures, we need to, we need to really dispel that perception that most guys play up to this. They don't. Most guys don't want to perform. They do, they hate it, but they feel they have to because if you're seen as weak, then you could become a victim yourself. Mm. So I think it's really important that we get into these cultures and start these conversations. That's part of the reason I work a lot with policing is because I want to really communicate to policing that in the main, we have good cops out there who want to do the right thing, but they often play up to that perception that mm. they think is the norm within the organisation. That's interesting. Uh, we've talked a lot about the sort of positive conversations that we need to have, uh, but how, how much scope does the negative conversations have as well? This this understanding that, you know, yeah, I think the quote from yourself was the, the standard that you walk past is the standard that you hold up yourself. Yeah. Uh, and, and and echoing the sentiment that, you know, if, if you're able to do something that, and, and you don't do it, are, are you as bad as the perpetrator of this line of thinking? How big a scope does this have in the, the more modern conversations that you have in, in campaigns like that, Guy? Yeah. I think you know, one thing we tried to highlight is that, listen, I know why people walk by think, reason. I know why people walk by situations. I know why men don't challenge men. I know that. I've been there myself. It's a fear. And the fear is internal. It's there. But if you do absolutely nothing, we need to communicate. We need to understand that. We need to own that silence. If you do nothing at all, um, you're just telling victims you don't care and you're telling your mate or that, that person that what they're doing is okay. And um, so for me, it's about how do we help, how do we help guys just intervene? And the interve intervention doesn't have to be, hey, you're wrong. You're totally, that's totally unacceptable. It could mean just having that one-to-one -one conversation with your mate the next day, the next hour, when you feel ready to have that conversation and have that. I, you know, I remember years ago, being in a bar with a, a friend, I've got to be careful who I how I talk about this person. This person, quite a sort of celebrity, and I remember in this bar, and we were talking to some other some women that are in, in the bar. They they recognise him, not me. And um, I remember at one point, this 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 mate of mine, he he put his hand on this lady's shoulder and kissed her on the head without asking her, right? And he's I'm off to the toilet, and then. I remember this, the, the, the look on this lady's face said it all. What the hell's going on here? Right? I didn't, I didn't ask for that. And um, I, I looked at her and said, hey, listen, I'll have a conversation with so-and-so. With, with, with I remember going back to his house, we were staying there, and I, had, I was on the train. I said, hey, can I have a chat with you? And I just had that calling in. We call it the calling in moment where we use our relationship. Hey, Come on, you know you 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 you've got a, a brand here. Um, I don't want that to, to be tarnished. But did you realise what you did? He had no idea what he'd done. And let, let's face it, sometimes as guys, we do things we don't realise what we're doing is harmful. And I think you know I, I accepted that. I pointed out what what had happened, and he just thanked me for it. And I think it's important. These things do work. They they can be difficult. They can be challenging, but that can make a difference. You feel better you've done the right thing you've helped your friend stop them from doing something who knows what would happen the next week 
if he'd done it again, you know, could that have been, you know, some 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 report made or or or, or whatever, which impact on that person's reputation, brand, future career prospects as well. So I think it's these things are challenging, but they don't have to be confrontational. I think when you when you like a lot of people talk about you need to shout at people, call out behaviors. That's confrontational. Human beings, we don't like confrontation. So when we did the That Guy campaign, what we wanted to do was to give guys the, the tools. Because what, what doesn't work with boys and men is telling them to stop doing bad things. Most men and boys don't do bad things. We are silent around things. I accept that. What does work is correcting the, the perceptions that most people follow this type of behavior, but giving them the tools to be more active when they see it. And that's what we wanted to do with that guy was to give them that opening line when you're speaking to your mate, using your friendship, using your relationship. Because I know that as guys, deep down, we care about our mates. We might not show that all the time, but friendship is really important to us. Um, so I think using that power of your friendship is a really good motivator. Friends don't let friends. Always be thinking about that. And another theme uh, that's uh, repeated in the that guy uh, messaging is that you know the violence actually starts a lot yeah. earlier than the actual act itself and that there's a, a whole mental journey for that person to go on to get into the frame of mind in which they think that yeah. uh, acting on violence against women is okay. One that thinks uh, lesser of women, one that thinks that they're, they're undeserving of the same emotions as them, one that thinks that women, uh, the repercussions of an act towards that woman shouldn't be considered. So to get into that frame of mind, how do we... How do we stamp that out? Well, we need to clamp down on the normalization of the kind of language we, that we use. We've talked a little bit about objective, uh, objectification, you know, the, you know, sexual entitlement. And, and aside from the very obvious things, like the, the obvious jokes or the comments, you know, what are the sort of telltale signs that men can look out for in their mates in, in, in terms of like acts and behaviors uh, behind the, the more blatant comments, uh, if you like? You know, I think just I'll come to that that red flag type thing situation. But going back to what happened to my daughter, I remember seeing the guy who'd done this, and you know, the you know the media portray people who do this as monsters, right? As, as though they've got like flaming eyes and horns. He was just an ordinary guy, and I and I remember that was in the months after I met Jackson, and I started to think, why has this happened? Why is he doing this? Where's this come from? You know, you know he was. Like four and five, he was as equally loving as, you know, a, a girl in his, in his community. What's happened? And um, I think this 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 um, culture of expectation entitlement is there. And I think it, you know it's important we start to look at you know sexual assault, rape is not just um, standalone events. They start somewhere. They start with words. They start with language. And I don't think that I'm thinking that all jokes are going to lead to sexual assault, but we know that harm, abuse will evolve and continue until we see some sort of interruption. So I think it's important we start to think about, you know, that 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 individual who is really really derogatory, really nasty derogatory, not not so much a joke is um is going on about things far too much, is really derogatory about that individual that we need to challenge that. That's what we need to be be working on. Because if our if that person's attitudes and behaviors are not being challenged, then that is giving that sense of permission and really emboldening that person. You know the you know I I think that whole that guy campaign was was built after we talked about I talked about the Sarah Everard case and making the links between words and language and attitudes and what happened to Sarah Everard you know the police officer 
who was convicted of her murder, a serving police officer, was nicknamed the rapist. Why is that? Why where did they get that name from? That's not just something that you pick out the hat. That's something that there was an attitude, a behavior on display all, all those weeks, months, years, years beforehand. Why wasn't that challenged? You know, I think that that is so important that we 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 sweat the small stuff. I'm not saying language words is the small stuff because I try not telling that to a victim, but we society, we look at that as the small stuff. Like we need we've got bigger things to worry about, like rape and sexual assault. Yeah, we need to deal with that. But if we act early as possible, we can stop that evolution of harm. All the research says harm, violence will evolve and continue until we see some sort of interruption. So I think it's important that society doesn't yeah, you know, society just accepts this is where things can happen. Things start. Um, think of all the issues in the Middle East or the genocides in in um, in the, the Holocaust situation or in Bosnia. They start with words and language. You know, you know, bad, bad. You know, sort of derogatizing. You know, be, you know, being derogatory towards certain communities, certain races, whatever. And look what happened there. You know, so we need to be mindful of words and language and. And it actually becomes easier if we tackle it earlier. It's actually easier to intervene, you know, and it, and it, and we can stop the harm from from continuing. So I think it's, you know, that's the whole point of that guy was to get society switched on to the the power of language. For sure. Well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the podcast today, Graham. It's uh, great to listen to you as always. Is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners before you go? No, I, I think, you know, folks listening to this podcast, you know, I know Ennis has got a really good following out there. You know, we're not here to point fingers. We're not here to um, tell you to do better in many ways. Just be part of the conversation, right? Be part of the conversation. Come and join us. We've got a growing number of men, women, individuals out there who want to be part of this conversation. And when we come together, when we create that community in motion, so to speak, we can really make a difference. Um, and we owe it. We owe it to our sons, our daughters, we owe it to society to really make a difference. So thank you for your time. And I really appreciate your time tonight as well. Cheers, Graham.